Let's turn to Proverbs 9. Proverbs chapter 9. I've been studying Proverbs this last year because I, I can be a complete idiot. And, <laughs> and if, uh, if Proverbs could be titled anything, and uh, I need uh, daily, moment by moment, God's wisdom. And so let's look into Pro- Proverbs chapter 9 this morning and see what God has to show us. So let's begin our time in the Word of God together by by reading the entire chapter, and uh, then we will get into the message. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young woman to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's ask for God's help as we hear his word. Heavenly Father, please open our eyes, our hearts, to respond to your word, to receive your wisdom. And to realize that any life that we could possibly come up with for ourselves can only end in hurt and destruction. Only in your life and in your ways will we find true joy and satisfaction. So we pray that you would be with us. May your spirit be at work in changing and transforming our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever done anything stupid with your car? Um, you could be like one of my friends in high school who used to go into the country and would pick up enough speed to, to go airborne over, over the, the hills and the road. And uh, that's, that's one way uh, to do some immediate damage to your car, if not get a massive ticket. 
On the other end of the spectrum, you could do something slow and hardly noticeable to your car, but in the end, really damaging. I have some experience in that. Back in college, um, I, I was very focused on my studies in college. That, that was like very important to me, and, uh, and I would forget to do very obvious things like check my oil and change my oil and all of that good stuff. And one Sunday on the way to church with some of my friends, there was this uh, ugly grinding sound that came from under the hood. So we pulled off uh, into a parking lot. I popped the hood, checked the oil, and there was just the slightest bit of oil showing. Well, that was the beginning of the end for that car. Now, I haven't told you that story as a reminder to get your oil changed, although some of you, that's probably a good reminder. The point is, uh, the instruction manual for your car or any, any mechanic or anybody who knows about cars will tell you every 3,000 or if you got the synthetic stuff, every, I don't know, was that 6,000? Every, every, every uh, 3,000 miles, get your oil changed. If you, if you in, ignore those instructions, you're eventually going to do damage to your car. We're often like that with God's word and his wisdom. We ignore it, we put it off until later, and we end up doing damage to our lives, our relationships, our finances, our character. How many stories do we bring together of all the damage that we've done to our own lives because we refuse to live by God's wisdom? If you're tired of running back to the same old things that just end up hurting you in the end, Proverbs 9 is for you. And even if you feel pretty happy right now, ignoring God, ignoring his commands, Proverbs 9 is a warning to you. You won't always be so happy. Life with disregard for God never ends well. Proverbs 9 puts before us the decision of our lives, the decision to follow God's wisdom or our foolishness. Too many people believe that they can straddle the fence between God and the world, between God and their sin. The book of Proverbs makes it clear that you, you, are on, you are only on one of two possible paths. You are either on the path of God and His ways or you are on the wide path of all those who are running from God. So Proverbs 9 forces the issue on you. Will you side with wisdom or will you side with foolishness? So let's get into Romans 9. This morning we're going to look at the passage from two main points. First, two rival invitations and second, two rival responses to wisdom. First, two rival invitations. The two rival invitations in in Proverbs 9 are found at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter. Verses 1 through 6, we hear an invitation from woman wisdom. And in verses 13 through 18, we hear the invitation from woman folly or foolishness. So let's look at the invitation that woman wisdom has to offer in verses 1 through 6. In these these verses, wisdom is personified as a woman. Uh, And we are meant to be impressed and in awe of woman wisdom. In verse 1, we see that she has built a house. 
Woman wisdom has not bought into the tiny house revolution. I love watching those shows. I love seeing all, all that you could put into a, the, the tiniest houses. But woman wisdom uh, never bought into that. She is building this massive house seen from its construction with pillars. Normal houses at that time didn't have pillars. Uh, and it's, uh, it says that wisdom's house has seven pillars, probably referring to the biblical uh, reference of seven being perfection and completeness. And look at verse 2. We see that woman wisdom has been hard at work preparing a feast. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She also has set her table. Meat, wine, a beautiful table set for her guests. Meat at that time was not like it is in our day. Meat at that time was a luxury. So don't think of, you know, hamburgers. Think of prime rib and filet mignon or whatever your favorite meat is. The wine, it says, the, her wine has been mixed, which uh, would at that time be done through adding honey and spices to enhance the taste. She's set her table, which judging by the rest of her house and the rest of the meal, it's probably a pretty impressive setup there. Slaughtering when we read this. So you're lucky you're, you're the early service. The second service is going to start to get really hungry at this point because uh, they're closer to lunch. Um, so I, I was... I was uh, Blair jumped up on the bed. My, my daughter Blair jumped up on the bed yesterday as I was typing out and preparing for the sermon this morning. And she, she asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm typing out my sermon for church tomorrow. I said, do you want to hear about it? And she said, yeah. Uh, so so I, I started telling her about the passage about woman wisdom building this amazing house and preparing a feast. And I, I didn't have... She doesn't have a reference point of, of a, an amazing feast, so I just Googled uh, pictures for Christmas dinner. And all of these pictures for Christmas dinner, and I said, it kind of looks like that, like all of this food, all this amazing food. But all she saw was the Grinch Christmas cookies. <laughs> That's what caught her eye. And so she said, and Grinch Christmas cookies? Yes, and Grinch Christmas cookies too. So every time through that conversation that I, I mentioned the feast, she said, with, with Grinch Christmas cookies? Yes, yes, with that. So, so yes, with whatever your favorite food, I'm sure it's included at this feast. So, so let's pause for a moment. What are we to take from, from this? What is this telling us about wisdom. God and his wisdom are not a boring, bland meal, but a feast. Some professing believers sadly have the misconception that if you choose to follow Christ, you're getting the short end of the stick. Yes, they acknowledge that you get heaven after you die, but realistically, right now, they think that they're getting kind of cheated in life. Although they would never say it out loud, God to them is a killjoy whose main aim is to keep them from sin, the really fun stuff, and to give them the blandness of holiness, which to them has the all, all the enjoyment of those mashed potatoes in your microwave dinner. You know, those the you know, tasteless, bland, watered down, nobody enjoys. May God free us from those kind of thoughts about him and his ways. As long as you view obedience to Christ 
as a forfeiting of your joy. Instead of a finding of your joy, you will remain unhappy and paralyzed in the Christian life. Christianity is not giving up your pursuit of joy and pleasure. It is finding your pursuit of joy and pleasure because you find it in God and in his wisdom. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Life with God's wisdom is a feast, and it's a feast for every area of your life. But we are so often content with the mediocre and half-satisfying meals that we try to come up with for ourselves. We mix some of God's wisdom with how we, we really want to live our lives, and it's not satisfying. But God offers a feast for every area of your life. He offers you a feast for your family. Have you seen what happens to your family when you reject God's ways for your marriage and for your parenting? Not exactly a feast, is it? But a family with Jesus as Lord is a beautiful thing. God offers a feast for our church. Are you experiencing the feast of discipling others and being discipled by others? Are you experiencing the feast of telling the gospel to others in our community? Are you experiencing the feast of feeding on God's word and worshiping God every week with his people? Family our own way is so much worse than family God's way. Worse than church God's way, and it's so much greater than anything we could come up with for ourselves. Left to ourselves, we just find all the ways to mess things up. Now, let's look back to our text, verses 3 to 5. So wisdom has prepared this feast. Now, in verse 3, she sends out her female servants to start inviting people to the feast. Look at verses 4 and 5. Who is wisdom inviting to her feast? You might think she's sending out the invitation to the already wise, the people who are worthy of this feast. No. Look at who she's inviting. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. The feast isn't offered to the wise, but to the simple. It's offered to fools. The fundamental qualification for coming to the feast is that you don't have it all together. You have to be all messed up to be invited to this feast. If you think that your sin disqualifies you from being invited and accepted by God, you couldn't be further from the heart of God for sinners. God welcomes those who have messed everything up. He welcomes those with dirt on their hands. God loves the bottom of the barrel. We should be in awe of the amazing goodness that God offers to bad people. If you're a believer in Christ, you should never get over this. If you're not a believer, you can get in on this. No sin, no amount of sin can disqualify you from the mercy and salvation that God offers you through the finished work of Christ on the cross. So God is welcoming you today no matter your past, no matter your history, all you have to do is turn to Christ. 
Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. But that turning will cost you. In verse 6, wisdom says, leave your simple ways and live. Are you ready to leave control of your life behind you? That's what the Bible calls repentance. When you turn to Jesus, you are simultaneously turning your back on your sin. And although you will fight against sin for the rest of your life, it will no longer be your life. Christ will be your life. And how much better off you will be. How's, how's that for an invitation? A feast. It will cost you, but it, that cost will be nothing compared to what you will receive from God through Christ. But there's another invitation at the end of the chapter from woman folly. Hers is a rival invitation. Look at verses 13 to 15. Woman folly is described for us. She sits at her door. She's kind of lazy. She just sits there and and calls out to those who walk by, really reminiscent of a prostitute. In verse 13, she's described as loud or noisy. Back in chapter 7, verse 11, the adulterous woman is also described as loud and noisy. She's described in verse 13 as seductive, or some translations have simple-minded. Whether seductive or simple-minded, we're warned against both in, in Proverbs. In verse 16, here's woman Folly's rival invitation. She calls out to the same group that women, woman wisdom called out to, the simple. And woman folly has her own banquet prepared and tries to seduce those who are passing by to her food. Now what food does she have to offer? Nothing compared to woman wisdoms. Look at verse 17. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is Pleasant. Bread and water? <laughs> really? That, that's, that's all you have to offer? But yeah, stolen water is sweet. Bread in, eaten in secret is pleasant. She's offering the forbidden food, and she's promising pleasure. And that's the reason why we find ourselves visiting Woman Folly's house over and over again. It's that promise of pleasure. The Bible never tells you sin doesn't taste good. Hebrews 11.25 talks about the pleasures of sin. It just says that they're fleeting. They last for a short time, but then the guilt sets in, where the consequences catch up on you, or you're finally found out and exposed. No pleasures left then, only pain. It's exactly what verse 18 tells us. It tells us that those who walk into Folly's house do not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol or the grave. One comment, who says sign me up for that? Yes, yet so often we get suckered into Folly's invitation. 
And each time our momentary pleasure is followed by guilt and shame and pain to ourselves and others. Yes, sin may be exhilarating in the moment, but it is life-destroying in the long run. The problem with sin's pleasures is that they are always only temporary. Sin is always a dead-end road. If If you're not a believer in Christ... I want to urge you to look long-term at your life. Right now, life without Christ may feel pretty satisfying for you. Why do you need God? You're pretty happy without Him. Or you may be miserable. Either way, the most fundamental decision of your life is, will you turn from your sin and your self-worship and turn to Christ as your Savior. Right now, that may seem like the most painful thing you will ever have to do, which is why you're putting it off. But the momentary pain and cost of that decision to follow Christ will be nothing compared to the joy and the satisfaction that you will receive from knowing Christ and following Him. So come to Jesus Today, only He satisfy you. To my Christian brothers and sisters, though we may have made that foundational decision of coming to Christ and following Him, we still far too often wander back into woman folly's house. We still believe her lies, don't we? Why is it that in the moment when we're tempted, we instantly forget all the pain that we know will be coming. It's just like, don't even, don't even remember it. We completely forget it. When you turn to Christ, your heart has been changed, but it's far from perfected. The temptation of immediate gratification still has its pull on us. So in what ways right now are you still choosing your immediate gratification over your long-term joy? In what ways are you giving into the pleasure of the here and now, which will only end in pain in the future? And there are so many, so many ways that we do this. Just give a few examples. We do this with our money. We all know that buzz from buying that new thing, don't we? That that exhilaration from uh, from buying that new thing that we really want. And but when you've gotten addicted to that buzz you end up with a massive pile of debt. Happened to my family growing up. Just my my parents just went into this massive amount of debt early on, and it took a decade or, or longer to get out of that debt, which they would have never had to have been there if they would have listened to God's wisdom about how to, how to wisely use and steward your money. My mom did teach me, don't go into debt. And I listened to her. Okay, I listened to her. Dads, maybe your immediate gratification is checking out when you get home. The time when your kids and your wife need you the most, you disengage mentally. You're exhausted from work. I get it. I get it. I'm there. 
You're exhausted from work, so you make your few hours at home with your family each day about you instead of about them. Yeah, we all need a few hours here and there to regroup. But when you're habitually ignoring your family and escaping to your man cave, you're in the process of destroying your marriage and your family. It may be gratifying now, it may be easy now, but it could leave you with nothing in the end. For our students, our singles, you really need to view your dating in view of this passage. <clears throat> How easy it is to get to be attracted by someone. And that attraction will completely blind you from how damaging that relationship will be to your relationship with God. But you're so enamored by her or by him that you completely throw that away. How often I've seen the pain and the, the, the effects that that has on one's relationship with, with God and following Christ. Christian, where do you find yourself still walking in the woman folly's house? Haven't you had enough of the pain that that brings? The payoff for sin is pretty terrible. A little bit of pleasure in a whole lot of pain. So, when you're, when you're, what does this have to offer me now? Ask yourself, what does this have to offer me down the road? And taken in that perspective, wisdom is always the obvious answer. May God help us to choose more and more the obvious of his wisdom. So the beginning and end of the chapter puts before us this decision of whether we're going to follow wisdom or follow folly. And right in the middle, verses 7 through 12, it gives us a con concrete, real-life picture of what the wise and the fool look like specifically in the way they respond to correction. So that takes us to number two, two rival responses to wisdom. Verses seven through nine, we see these two rival responses that people have toward wisdom. When they're confronted with their own lack of wisdom, the first person it talks about is the, the scoffer, which is the fool, who has a hatred of wisdom. Look at verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. The scoffer also could be called a mocker. They mock anyone who would try to correct them. This is the person who is absolutely close-minded to correction. If you try to correct them, they'll hate you. They'll attack you. Even, even if you try to correct them in love and full of grace, they will take it as a personal attack and will respond with a personal attack to you. Some people will never listen to wisdom because the only voice they want to hear is their own voice. And because they never listen to the correction from others, they are doomed to perpetually continue making the same mistakes over and over again. So when someone, especially a brother or sister in Christ, offers you correction, don't let your defenses go up. 
Instead, listen for what God might want to teach you and how God might be offering you the opportunity to become better off as a result. This is, this is how a wise person responds to wisdom. The wise person, unlike the fool, has a deep hunger for wisdom. They search the scriptures for it. They are always on the lookout out for it. So when others take them aside to offer a word of correction, they lean in to hear what God wants to teach them. Look at the last part of verse 8 and verse 9. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. A wise person realizes that he will never reach the plateau of wisdom. There will be always more to learn. There will be always more wisdom to grow in. Needs people in our lives who can lovingly correct them. If you cut yourself off from other believers, especially deeply wise believers, you will be severely limited in your spiritual growth. We have so many blind spots and too many areas of our lives where, let's face it, we just don't have the guts to change. So we need others to lovingly point out things to us and push us beyond our excuses to finally experience the real change that only Jesus can bring. Do you have at least one person in our church who you can ask, what do you see in my life that needs to change? You need that person, you need that kind of person who will love you enough to not tell you, you're perfect just the way you are. I wouldn't change a thing about you. That's not a, that's not a friend because none of your real friends think that about you. <laughs> your real friends are close enough to you to be annoyed by you at times, frustrated by you, and sometimes to see you at your worst. Real friends will have real correction to offer you. And when they offer you their correction, like the wise man in this passage, love them for it. Thank them for it. It really is a kindness to you. One final thing about wisdom in this passage that is absolutely key. Wisdom doesn't begin merely by a choice to try to become a wiser person. It begins with a right relationship with God, who is infinite in wisdom. And that right relationship with God is found in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom is radically God-centered. If you want to be wise, it only comes through knowing and fearing God. The fear of the Lord, as Pastor Daniel explained last week, is neither utter terror of God or just a mere respect for God. It's something in between. It's a fear of doing anything that will displease the Lord. It's a, it's a fear of God and His discipline that He will bring if you choose to continue in your sin. It's a fear of the God who says you will reap what you sow. It's a realization that God is of God's utter holiness, majesty, and glory, such that when godly people see him in Scripture, they fall down as dead. 
Are, are we going to fool around with sin with that God? No, we have to fear him. And the fear of God keeps us from foolishness and it keeps us seeking and following his wisdom. Wisdom is radically God-centered, but it's also Christ-centered. Moving to the New Testament, we're, we're told in 1 Corinthians 1.30, says that for believers, Christ became to us wisdom from God. Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want to be wise, you must know and fear the Lord. And you must know him on his terms and through his Son. Wisdom starts at the cross of Jesus Christ. There and only there will you find salvation from God and wisdom from God. So we have a choice of the feast of wisdom or the banquet of death that our sin offers to us. Which one are you going to choose? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, May we be humbled by how often we listen to women's folly. And how ignorant and blind we are over and over again to the pain that, that we should know is coming and do know is coming. But we still listen to her calls for immediate gratification. God, would you give us a taste for something better of you and of your ways and of your wisdom? Would you cause our, our, our hearts to long for your wisdom and, and to see that your wisdom, your ways are the only place that we will find true satisfaction, true joy for ourselves. So strip us from our love for immediate gratification and tie our hearts to a love for your wisdom and your truth. We ask for your Holy Spirit to do this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.